Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Zero dollar commission applies to online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. AI with a stethoscope. When will tech be able to step in for doctors? Former FDA head Scott Gottlieb says there's a lot to iron out before then. Making that transition to having it fully automated and allowing the AI to handle the interaction soup to nuts, that's a real regulatory challenge. And the drama in Hollywood with Puck News founder Matt Bellany. Now you've got Barbie and even Oppenheimer just running circles around Disney. What's the story in the House of Mouse, the characters back in the mix, and the plot for next season? I do think Disney has a creative issue here because they've essentially been running the playbook of let's replay the hits. Those stories, plus a soft landing, a giant X, and news alert, it's hot. It's hotter outside. In case anybody didn't know. It is Monday, July 31st, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue it, please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Andrew Ross Sorkin. Joe is out today. It's a Monday morning, but wow, we are getting to the end of July, and here's where the major averages stand as we prepare to close out the month. The S&P and the Nasdaq are on pace for their fifth straight month of gains. They're up 3% and nearly 4% respectively just for this month. The Dow is also up by more than 3% this month, and just check that out. Uh, That's the month to date. If you look at the year to date, that's even more impressive with what these markets have been doing. Nasdaq up by 37% year to date. That's the blowout on all of these, but all three of the major averages up sharply over the first uh, over the first part of this year. And we do have some comments from Minneapolis Federal Reserve President Neil Kashkari. He was striking an optimistic tone about a possible soft landing when it comes to the economy. Speaking with CBS's Face the Nation, Kashkari, who is a voting member of the FOMC, says that the U.S. economy is making surprisingly good progress, but says there is still work that needs to be done. We don't want to declare victory. We're making good progress and we're staying on it. If we need to hike, uh, raise rates further from here, we will do so. But we're going to let the data guide us. Kashkari said returning to pre-pandemic levels of inflation is what he says absolutely achievable in his words. Meantime, X, let's talk about it because the company formerly known as Twitter has retired its famous blue and white bird logo, the icon on the mobile app. Changed to an X late Friday night. I thought it happened I, even I earlier than that. Overnight, I thought. I, uh, I only noticed it for the first time. Today. Oh, just today? Yeah. Oh, I, I had it earlier in the week, but um, I was trying to figure out what Steve time rolling. that happened at. Meantime, the company installed a large new glowing X logo on top of its headquarters over the weekend in San Francisco. Elon Musk tweeted out this video of it. It's a little Bruce Wayne-ish. Uh, the city officials in San Francisco opened an investigation, though into the company for allegedly installing the sign without proper approval. One city official said they were denied access to the roof and were told the structure is a temporary lighted sign 
for an event. Neighbors have been complaining about the intrusive lights on that structure, and some reports say it's currently being held in place by sandbags. Though, on a separate matter, I thought fascinatingly, Elon Musk tweeting over the weekend that the company Twitter planning to stay in San Francisco, really? which I thought was I actually a that. great thing, huh. uh, given all of the problems that San Francisco has been facing. Yeah. Uh, he said in his tweet that uh, he'd been seeing a whole bunch of companies obviously leaving and people trying to get them to come to other other cities. And uh, he said, you know, you know who your friends are uh, when you're staying. I don't know if that had any relation to uh, the sign or uh, the city of San Francisco being upset about the sign. But um, at least they're there. We're, we're, all, we're, all rooting for, we're all rooting for these cities. So. Yeah. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Ugh. Hi, Ken. And uh, at the box office this weekend, Barbie continuing its huge run, bringing $93 million North American ticket sales. Its global cumulative haul at this point, $750 million, above that actually. Meantime, Universal's Oppenheimer brought in $46.6 million over the weekend. Its global haul has now topped $400 million. Universal, owned by our parent company, Comcast. Meantime, Disney's Haunted Mansion taking in about $24 million in its debut. That movie reportedly, though, cost more than $200 million to make and market. Marketing for the movie uh, was derailed by the actor strike, which began on July 13th. The media blitz for Haunted Mansion stars had been scheduled for July 15th, but was largely canceled. And we're already starting to see this as impacting so much of the business. We're going to, by the way, the talk the strike. We're going to talk to Matt Bellany uh, from Puck in just a little bit. But you saw Sony push back a whole number of its pictures from the fall of 23, now into 24, largely around the issue not of production, but of promotion. And the idea being, you know, if you really go back and, and think about it, Barbie, there was a lot of promotion that had already been set up in advance with the actors. Oppenheimer, too, though, if you remember, there was at least one screening or opening of Oppenheimer, I believe, in London, where a whole number of the actors left literally in the middle of the screening because, because the, the strike, strike had begun in that, in that legitimate moment. And so when you don't have the actors there to actually be able to go on news programs or, I mean, the late night shows aren't even, even operating, you know, the, just the idea of how you actually get the word out becomes a lot more challenging. I mean, you saw it in the upfronts. There were already a lot of tapes that had been done right. that were put out and, you know, videos that had right. been done in advance of these things. But this is once you get into an extended period, which is where we're starting, you know, you, you, right. No, it becomes really very difficult. And, and, and that's when it becomes hard. Uh, Bellany's got an interesting newsletter out this morning just about what's actually going on now, not only on the writers and actors side, but actually what's happening on the studio side. And there might be actually some more movement, at least he seemed to be suggesting there. So we'll talk to him about that. more movement in terms of things they could get to the table and agree. Maybe on. they could try to try to move. I will see. I want to talk to him because it was an interesting read. Two-thirds of the U.S. population are under heat alerts across 27 states where temperatures are expected to reach triple digits. Four of the largest power grids issued several types of warnings, Texas, California, Midwest, and the Mid-Atlantic. So, Andrew, did you see this story in the journal today about Which theme one? park operators are battling extreme heat because yep. it's so hot. So hot outside. That they... You can't get people who want to do this. There's more investment that's going into water right. parks for some of these and more investment for indoor rides on some of these things, too. It's tricky. I would not want to be waiting in line in 100 degree. It's hotter outside. It, in it, in look, case anybody broke, didn't it know. It, it broke here. Yep. It broke here. And oh, it's beautiful out today. Like sure. I'm saying, but on the whole, it's hotter outside. 
Shares of uh, Heineken sliding in the Netherlands overnight. The company is selling 5.6% less beers in the first half of the year than a year ago. Its operating profit fell by 8.8%, nearly double the drop uh, that the company expected. The brewer is cutting its 2023 forecast. Heineken said that its results in Asia were affected by an economic slowdown, particularly in Vietnam, one of the company's largest markets. It says that volume in Vietnam fell by 13.2%, and operating profit there fell by nearly a third. Now, still... Heineken saying it expects a strong turnaround uh, from its profit in the second half of the year. So we will see. I've been drinking less Heineken, but I don't know. You drink Heineken? I like Heineken when I, I mean, not all the time, but, you know, Heineken here and there. It smells like a skunky beer to me, like from the second you open it. I'm okay with Amstel Light, their lighter brand, but the Heineken green bottle. Next time you open it, smell it. I know. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. (laughs) Personal preference. That's all. Check it out. Cheese will be next. Coming up next on Squawk Pod, the bot will see you now. Dr. Scott Gottlieb on when artificial intelligence steps into the lab coats and fills the role of your doctor. That future may be sooner than you think. At the UPS store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Good morning. Welcome back to Squawk Box. This is CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Andrew Ross Sorkin. Joe is off today. The artificial intelligence boom is growing now in the healthcare industry. Companies like Amazon, Google and Microsoft are all looking to merge healthcare with AI, starting with the summarization of doctor visits along with imaging files and other things. I was saying managing files, but also imaging files here to break down what this all means for healthcare. CBC contributor and former FDA commissioner, Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He also serves on the boards of Pfizer and Illumina. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, so in the AI universe, what do you think the, the biggest opportunity is, but also let's go biggest challenge? Well, look, right now you see a lot of organized machine learning um, looking at data sets for things like radiology, what you mentioned, pathology, evaluating slides, also in, in cardiology, looking at EKGs. That's been under development for a while, and there's a number of approved modalities for doing that. So Google, for example, has something that can look in the back of the eye, images of the eye, and diagnose diabetic retinopathy. There's two approved platforms for doing that by a company called iArt and another one called IDX. So machine, organized machine learning looking at controlled historical data sets to 
based on algorithms to make diagnoses has been around for a while. The real sort of big opportunity is to use large language, language models that can do natural language processing right. to actually do patient interactions. The technology is there to do that right now. Oh my gosh, so when I call the bank and you have to go through <laughs> the crazy codes to get There's through. regulatory impediments right. for it. You've got to be kidding me. But well, what I was going to ask you, though, about, about this is, you know, we're still not at a point where a lot of the large language models can do things that I would describe as mission critical. They're not good with math. They still hallucinate. How far away do you think we are from real interaction? There are, by the way, Inflection and a couple of others are even working on, on programs right now that are, you know, you, instead of having a psychiatrist, you would actually just interact with. <laughs> and no, and by no, the way, there are, are studies, Becky's laughing, there are studies oh that show that the computer is more empathetic than a human. Yeah, that actually there. people enjoy the experience more of actually interacting with an AI, if you will, than with another human being. It, Doctor. It's got to be different than these things I talk to. <laughs> they, they're doing talk that One of the challenges is there, there's not a lot of large clinical data sets to train these models on. Uh, and the models that exist have been, tra have been trained on a sort of a small number of parameters relative to like chat, GTP, some of the right. large language models that we're interfacing with. They're already being rolled out into telemedicine portals. So if you look at like Cure AI or K-Health, and you go on there, the first five or six or seven questions you get asked will be through an AI interface in many cases. And then it will default to a doctor and it will provide structured information to the physician. Right. So the, the initial intake will have been done by an AI chatbot. Making that transition to having it fully automated and allowing right. the AI to handle the interaction soup to nuts, that's a real regulatory challenge. Right. And I think what we're going to do is look at some simple interactions. Those might be the first to get approved, like right. medicine refills and some simple chief complaints like, you know, pain on urination or okay, so the breathing. dream of all of this, though, is to get more accurate readings in all right. of these issues and to do it more cheaply. And so my question, I'm actually, I imagine they will do the readings potentially better than a human eventually. Yeah, that the question bother. is, what's going to happen to the cost? Is it really going to, is this the thing that's going to, I mean, we've, we're all waiting for some magical thing to come down from the heavens and change the cost of healthcare. Yeah, look, the reason why costs in healthcare don't respond to productivity inputs is at the end of the day, you need a physician or a provider to have an interaction with the patients. So this is sort of Baumel's, the economist's theory of uh, the right. disease. Um, in industries that are labor intensive, you can't bring down costs with technology inputs. Here, the technology can substitute for the labor input. And as you move towards capitation, more practices are going to adopt these tools because they're not being paid on their physical labor. Right now, we pay on physical labor in medicine through Medicare. When you're capitated, you want to withdraw the physical labor if you can and substitute the technology for the interaction. I'll say two things. First of all, I always want a doctor to be the interface. I'm thrilled at the idea of the doctor being smarter because it's got AI helping him or her in the background, reading the charts, reading the scans, the x-rays, any of those things. I think that's great. Will there be a time, though, where this kind of adds to the differentiation between good health care and bad health care, those who get great health care, those who don't, because it seems to me like this is going to be rolled out first in the really high-end areas, in more densely packed urban areas. It's not going to make its way out to the other places. And if I've got a doctor who's smarter because you're getting helped by AI, that, that means that the haves and have-nots maybe get further. Yeah, I'm not sure that the, the bifurcation is going to be on sort of premium practices versus people who are getting care in more austere environments. So though you will maybe see some adoption in, in, based on those parameters. I think it's going to be people who look for convenience 
who want a quicker interaction. So, you know, do you feel comfortable that you log on to a telemedicine portal and you're interacting with an AI chatbot for the first, you know, five minutes of the interaction and it defaults to the physician and the physician now has structured information from your interaction with the chatbot? I guess bot. it's just that any, any way I use this, whether that be calling CVS to ask about my prescription and having to go through all the stupid prompts that it gives me first. And in the end, I always have to say, speak to the pharmacist because they screw something up on it. Yesterday, talking to the bank, eventually had to say, speak to a, to a customer service representative because they don't translate any of that. And all the stuff they spent 15 minutes asking me, they don't see on the other end anyway. So the stuff that we already use, we're really bad at. Yeah, I think there, it's not being used well in a lot of settings. And I don't know the, what the engine is behind those interactions. But if you look at something like Cure AI uh, or some of these startups that are inter, inter uh, facing or building in the natural language processing up front, you do have a little bit more of a seamless interaction. These tools have gotten more intelligent. And look, they're going to continue to expand as we get more processing power. As the really the bottleneck has been the clinical data sets to train these tools. Uh, right now, they're very limited. Uh, so you're going to see, right. I think, build out. Okay, so what, but costly. give us just a timeline. What do you think the true promise of this is? Is this, I mean, is this like uh, automated cars? We said it was, you know, back in 2016, mm -hmm. and here we are in 2023. Well, are we talking um, about next year? Are we talking about 2030? Well, the, look, the question is the regulation, and I think for very simple interactions, people are going to need to seek approval around discrete chief complaints that patients might present with and try to carve off simple interactions. But if you look at medicine generally, 8% of all calls to a primary care physician are around musculoskeletal pain. 6% right. uh, are URI symptoms, a lot of medicine refills. And so you can carve off those discrete chief complaints and try to get regulatory approval around those to have the AI tool manage the interaction and default in select circumstances when it seems more complicated. Saves the healthcare That's worker within time, the next five years. The patient has to spend more time like maneuvering this stuff themselves. It's, in terms of the interface with the AI everywhere. tool. Yeah. Yeah. If it's not done well. we got to run. We're over time, doctor. Well. <laughs> uh, check out CNBC.com. Uh, the doctors got a recent piece on AI and healthcare. Next on Squawk Pod, entertainment journalist and Puck News founder Matt Bellany on Disney's next move and the actor strike impact on a box office backup. These stars couldn't begin promoting until October, November, and that's the best case scenario. Worst case, we're looking at into 2024, and you've got to start pushing these movies. Hollywood drama, right after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Up and Andrew, Q. Disney's Haunted Mansion receiving a chilling reception this weekend, bringing just $24 million in its debut. It's well below estimates and a comatose result uh, for a movie that cost nearly $200 million to make and market. Disney's film overshadowed, as you might imagine, by Barbenheimer, uh, the Barbie movie ranking, taking in now, I should say, another $93 million. Oppenheimer garnering another $46 million in its second weekend. The global phenomenon invigorating the summer box office, pushing July's cumulative grosses to 
over $1.3 billion. Now, that is the best level since 2016. I want to talk more about the weekend box office. also want to talk about the strike and how it's impacting a whole number of films and entire slates, really. Matt Bellany uh, is here, founding partner of Puck News, has a fascinating new uh, newsletter out. Matt, it's great to see you. Let's talk the let's let's start with the Disney picture and and how much of this is about what's happening inside Disney, the creative juices inside of Disney, the sort of seasonality of where we are, the idea that there couldn't be promotion because of the actor strike. Tell me about the mix here. Well, I think it's all a factor, but honestly, this movie just got run over by the Barbenheimer phenomenon. I mean, it's funny because we're used to in the past all the other studios bowing down before Disney with their big summer movie tentpoles, and people would just scurry and get out of the way of the Disney movies. Now, one after another this summer, the Disney movies have sort of been upstaged by other movies. We saw it earlier this summer where Little Mermaid didn't quite perform overseas like it was supposed to. We saw it with the Indiana Jones movie where that was supposed to do huge numbers with a $300 million budget. Now we're seeing it with Haunted Mansion, which was sort of a B-level franchise for Disney, but it was still expected to do pretty big business. And now you've got Barbie and even Oppenheimer just running circles around Disney. But, but how again, though, how much do you look at that and say that there was a creative problem with the picture itself? How much do you think it really is a function of the publicity that's, that, that effectively was... Uh, it it's disappeared all a because of the strike versus everything else. But I do think Disney has a creative issue here because they've essentially been running the playbook of let's replay the hits. Let's take our old movies and remake them in a modern fashion. Let's take a, our old rides and just make a, you know, point by point, pretty bland movie based on that. And what the audience seems to be saying this summer is they want their expectations to be challenged and yeah. to defy the expectations and to do something creatively interesting. And it's interesting because Disney had the opportunity with Haunted Mansion to make a version directed by Guillermo del Toro, who developed this property for many years. He's the Oscar-winning director of Shape of Water. He's done many extremely uh, creative and sort of edgy films. They chose not to do the Guillermo del Toro version of this film and instead went with a pretty paint-by-numbers ensemble comedy version of this film, and it didn't work. How much of this is a holdover from Bob Chapek versus holding Bob Iger, the other Bob, accountable? You cannot blame Bob Chapek for everything that happens creatively wrong at Disney. The guy was in charge of the company for a year. This project has been in development for many, many years at Disney. And even when Iger was not CEO and was still at the company, he was supposedly running the creative. So I don't think you can blame Bob Chapek for this. He did do a number of things with the distribution of Disney movies that arguably caused audiences to... Uh, expect them to be at home rather than in theaters. But I don't think you can blame Bob Chapek for the creative on a flop. Hey, Matt, what what's the backlog at Disney? What kind of films do they have coming up? Is there anything new or different? Is it more of the same? And I know all of this has been affected by by the by the strikes. But what what do they have that's different than what you just laid out? Uh, it's not a lot different. It's you know, they have a Snow White 
remake that's that's currently right. done and ready to come out. Um, they have a, a, a Marvels film called The Marvels, which is a sequel to Captain Marvel. And that is, you know, more of the same Marvel stuff. Um, they've got a couple of Avengers movies that are uh, that have been delayed by the strike. But there's not a lot on the Disney slate. They have another Avatar. Um, there's not a lot of risk taking on the Disney slate. And what we just saw with both Barbie and Oppenheimer is that those movies were big risks. It was a hundred and fifty million dollar feminist, you know, manifesto disguised as a Barbie movie, and it was a hundred plus million dollar biopic based on, you know, three hours long and not based on IP or any explosions or anything except for the one explosion. But those are movies that are, are hitting the zeitgeist, not because they're based on well-known uh, Disney magic. Matt, let's talk about the strike, the state of play, where you think things really are, and, and the real impact. I mean, we talked about the publicity impact on this particular picture. You saw Sony uh, move much of its slate now into 24. Are we expecting much more of that? What do they know that others don't? Are, uh, do, do they really think that this is going on through that period? Can Take us behind the scenes a little bit. Yeah, the conversation in Hollywood right now, I think everyone's looking at each other and say, OK, are we going to push? Are we going to not push? And the movies that were obvious um, sells, meaning they needed the stars to sell them. There was a Zendaya movie that was supposed to go uh, and premiere at Venice. Amazon and MGM decided they needed to push that movie because obviously you need Zendaya to sell your Zendaya big movie. They think there's a number of movies that Sony had that they just said, you know what? We're just going to push. They have a Denzel Washington movie, the Equalizer 3, that they have not pushed that is coming out in September. But beyond that, I think they were looking at the slate. They're looking at the, the landscape and they're like, OK, even if this strike settles in September, which some people like myself think that it might, then you're still looking at a few weeks where they need to get all the, the paperwork done. These stars couldn't begin promoting until October, November. And that's the best case scenario. Worst case, we're looking at into 2024 and you've got to start pushing these movies. Who's feeling more pressure at this point? Is it the studios or do you think the the Actors Guild only? I, I saw another note that went out to the Screen Actors Guild overnight that just says it tries to explain the interim agreement that they give and why they think that's working to help and not extend things, which says yeah. to me they must have some, some people pushing back saying, what is going on here? They do. Those interim agreements have been controversial. We wrote about this at Puck, where, yeah, they're granted about 100 of these, where about 100 movies and, and shows are able to start back up despite the strike. And some of them are big movies with big stars and big money behind them. A few even have distribution by these struck companies based on some legalities that the Guild couldn't get around. And the Guild is essentially arguing to its members, no, this is good. This is putting pressure on these struck companies because if they see that companies like A24 and Lionsgate, which are mini studios, not the majors, but mini studios, if they're able to get up and start doing movies, they're in a better position competitively against these struck companies. I mean, who knows? The next Chris Nolan movie could go to A24. It's got a very good reputation. Right. It's got private equity money. And if that happens, that's something the studios will take into consideration. Because that, that, that puts them in a situation where they've lost a big project right. that typically would go to a major studio.
Matt, I, I want to keep on the strike. We, we could talk about it for a very long time, but I also wanted to talk to you about the other D Disney piece of news this morning, which is Iger talking to Kevin Mayer and others about what he's going to do with some of these linear channels and potential partnerships. What's happening there? So I reported in my puck newsletter last night that Iger has brought on two of the heirs apparent that were supposed to take over Disney in the past, Kevin Mayer and Tom Staggs. And they are now running a company called Candle Media, which is sort of a Blackstone-backed content roll-up. But he's looking to these guys that previously, one ran the direct-to-consumer segment for Disney, the other was CFO and COO. And he's looking to these guys to help him figure out what to do with these linear channels that he said now that he wants to sell in that CNBC interview. And he's looking at ESPN because he wants to bring in a partner, a strategic partner to help bring either money or content distribution right. and help ESPN compete but with the Matt, tech giant. This but, signals Iger's looking for answers here and he's looking to guys that he has worked with in the past. Right. But when you say he's looking to them, what I'm trying to understand is He's looking to them like he's talking to lots of people, obviously, trying to understand both to get advice from, from different people and uh, looking to find partners. Uh, they obviously have, uh, you know, a big wallet in the form of Blackstone behind them. Are we talking about them as being partners, meaning acquiring some of these assets or partnering on some of these assets in the same way, for example, that TPG did uh, with DirecTV? Is that what we're talking about? Or you are no, they being right now, are they advisors not. or are they just friends who are taking phone calls? They, they are official advisors. They are more than friends. They are not actively you know, negotiating to take on assets or anything like that. This is a consulting arrangement with both these men that they have been brought in to help him figure out what to do. This is not Blackstone taking As over. As potential successors ABC. again? Excuse me? As potential successors again? Well, that is the speculation because Disney watchers will see this and say, oh, these guys were up for CEO in the past. Iger kind of pushed them aside and both of them left the company. And potentially this could be uh, uh, something that we talk about in a couple of years if this works out. But right now, this is not that. This is just these guys coming in to essentially advise as advisors right. on what to do with these assets. We'll Ma see how this paid, develops. But are they paid? I know we got to run. Paid advisors? Meaning like yes. you hire advisors at a My understanding at, at, at is they bank. are paid. Okay. My understanding is they are being paid. Matt, we appreciate it. Uh, congrats on all the scoops in the newsletter, and we look forward to talking again soon. Thank you. Uh, folks, that does it for us today. Andrew and I will be right back here tomorrow. Yep. See you in the morning. Ready to go one more time. And I misread the clock. We've got another 12 seconds to go. So I'm just going to sit here and stall because we're not handing it over early. This is our show to sit with. And uh, we will wish you guys the best of luck. Happy Mondays. And we'll see you back here tomorrow. And thank you, Becky, for living in that moment. Matt Bellany's newsletter is called What I'm Hearing and is available at puck.com. That's the podcast for today. Thank you, listeners, for starting your week with us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on X. Is that what we say now? Follow us on X. Our handle on the platform, formerly known as Twitter, is still Squawk CNBC. And you can still find show information and video clips there. That's it. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.